Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about fall fertilizer management. We have three members of Extension's Nutrient Management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction? This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm an Extension Nutrient Management Specialist located out of the St. Paul campus. My area of expertise is in the fertilizer guidelines for agronomic crops. I'm Fabian Fernandez, uh, also in the St. Paul campus in nutrient management, specifically with nitrogen for corn cropping systems and water quality. This is uh, Lindsay Pease, and I am the nutrient and water management specialist based out of the Northwest Research and Outreach Center in Crookston. And I'm Brad Carlson. I'm an extension educator. I work out of our regional office in Mankato. I work statewide. Uh, particularly uh, focusing on water quality issues, which has had an awful lot to do with nitrogen management lately. All right, starting off, can each of you tell us a little bit about how summer growing conditions have been going in your area and, and where you do research and if you've noticed any uh, nutrient deficiencies? Well, the southern part of the state has actually been relatively normal, particularly when you evaluate it uh, compared to the last several years. Uh, that the uh, pocket uh, in um, not far southwestern Minnesota, but uh, uh, that kind of Jackson, Sherburn, uh, uh, Wyndham area uh, did uh, have some wet early, uh, uh, a wet early period, uh, similar to how wet they have been the last few years. Uh, it has always sort of felt like we were on the verge of being uh, fairly dry, but uh, actually other than maybe the far southeastern uh, corner um, of Minnesota, we never really got to the point of seeing significant moisture stress. Uh, it did seem like uh, most of the summer we got timely rain. Uh, my particular area where I'm at in Wasika County, uh, we actually have had uh, beyond adequate rain. We uh, did not get uh, flooding and as it sits now, as we're heading into fall and crop use of water, the ET is really going down. Uh, we may be uh, getting to a point of seeing a lot of saturated soils uh, moving forward. Yeah, and up in the northwest corner of the state, we have just, I wish we could have gotten some of, of a few less rain uh, events this summer because it just seems like it has not stopped raining, um, you know, for more than more than a week, um, really all all summer. So, so we started off kind of normal um, and uh, but the soils have been kind of near saturated, especially where we've got our heavy clays uh, pretty much the, the whole summer and in, in um, and so, so from that perspective, it's actually been a little bit hard to sort of tease out, you know, what might be a nutrient deficiency uh, versus what might be just, you know, damage from, from wet soils or poor stand establishment, um, those types of questions, or disease. You know, I think with our really moist soils, then disease has been a really big um, issue with, you know, with many of our crops. Yeah, I know you asked about nutrient deficiency, and so we did not see widespread nutrient deficiency issues in southern Minnesota. There were some some spots, uh, uh, particularly that showed up as some nitrogen issues. Uh, it's still not particularly clear to me uh, what what exactly it is that uh, that induced that, um, because it it was not widespread, and so I would need to do a lot more investigating of the soils and exactly what happened uh, for nitrogen management on those particular fields. But again, it, it was not widespread uh, by any means. 
Yeah, and just driving around the state um, all summer there, it's it kind of interesting to see early on where things were looking dry. You know, Brad and I were working on a project in his area and that area was looking pretty tough for a while until the rain started to kick in and that was one of the, the kind of the major things and I saw that quite a bit uh, with a number of our studies um, being dry early on particularly some of our potassium trials really catching some uh, early season potassium deficiencies in both corn and soybean uh, seeing it pretty commonly but then seeing that uh, go away as the rain started to um, get a little bit more um, common in some of the areas, uh, particularly around Rosemont, where we had some trials. Um, we had some areas looking pretty tough there for a while that um, were pretty clearly potassium deficiency. Uh, sulfur was another thing I saw a lot this um, just driving around, but I, you know, kind of like last year with some of the trials, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit. Um, seeing that go away over time. So I think the rain really starting to help things as mineralization kicked in, um, really helped things starting to recover at this point in time. And it's kind of been interesting. I mean, the areas that I've been in, I haven't been in the far Southwest. I know um, talking to uh, some one of the growers down in that area that we have a nitrogen trial down there, there some drought conditions down in that area. So I know it is dry still in some areas of the state. Um, I know Lindsay, the Northwest really picked up with rain and hopefully here this um, kind of early frost. I don't know how things are going right now. I know looking at some freeze warnings here this uh, week of the eighth, um, just seeing kind of what what's gonna happen there. But um, things have looked remarkably well um, outside of uh, some areas. We had some pockets of hail go through, um, particularly in the central part of the state. I had a trial uh, just, um, south of the Stewart area this um, summer, a bean trial there. And I'm glad it wasn't a mile north of where it was at because it still got hit by hail, but it uh, wasn't quite as bad as some of the areas there. So, I mean, kind of a lot of the usual we've been seeing in terms of some unpredictable weather, hail storms. Um, just nice not to see all the ponded water out there that we've seen. Uh, certainly there is some out there, but not as much, um, particularly in the central part of the state. I think that all shifted north into Lindsay's area this, this uh, growing season. Yeah, and um, in terms of nitrogen, I mean, this year has been really good for the most part. Again, as you mentioned, there have been pockets where it's been a, a somewhat of a challenge, but uh, speaking in general for the state, I think we have done uh, pretty well between work and just personal travel. I think I have gone through pretty much all of the uh, corn growing regions of the state this summer and in general, things look very good. I did go through the, the western part of the farther west, southwestern part of the state. And um, yes, there, there have been some areas where they had issues, but uh, for the most part, it looks the corn crop and soybean crops, both they look really, really good. Um, you know, the, the spring was a little dry, but uh, we had fairly nice uh, conditions in temperature wise, warm conditions. And so, uh, those warm conditions, I think, helped uh, mineralization of nitrogen uh, to start uh, well uh, in the spring. And so uh, there was really very little uh, report or, or um, myself seeing deficiencies, nitrogen deficiencies showing up in, in the field early on. Um, there was enough moisture in the soil, even though it was a little dry. Um, for the crops to, to get established, start growing, getting the nitrogen that they needed. So very little in terms of nitrogen. And then the, the good thing, again, with the, the drier conditions is 
the opposite of what typically happens in the spring where we have excess water and we are concerned about nitrogen loss. We didn't really have, uh, for the most part, again, speaking in general, there were a few pockets, but in general, we have very little potential for nitrogen loss in the spring. Is there any nutrient management research currently underway that crop producers may be interested in? Well, just speaking on the potassium side, that's uh, one of the things that we've kind of put a big focus on, or at least I have here at the, the university. And it was said interesting to see some of the things that we saw early on. So we're looking at a couple different things. Um, one is I've got a student uh, looking at the clay mineralogy across the state. Um, one thing that we're trying to do is match up potassium response trials to look at, to see if we can better understand um, just potassium response and how the soil chemistry might affect that. So um, this year we had a number of on-farm trials that were just um, rate studies. Most of them we put on, um, we just were able to set up and send out a prescription map to a floater and was put on that way. The, the potassium was, was applied that way. So we have a number of those going. Um, we'll be continuing that in when we we'll be looking for some new trials here this fall and this next spring and hopefully be wrapping that trial up next year. Uh, the other trial, and some interesting things, we'll, we'll have a, a crop e-news release talking a little bit about this. Uh, some of the things that we're seeing, uh, particularly looking at some band versus broadcast comparisons, because that's been a big question with our recommendations as we move forward and look at updating and whether or not we want to stick with uh, some of that band efficiency. And uh, certainly this year, looking at some of the trials, I know Jeff Vetch um, had some, some nice pictures at Wasika were so, showing some lower rates banded um, corn looking a lot better in those, particularly in some areas with low potassium soil tests. So that's some things that are going to be moving forward. That uh, band broadcast was funded by AFRIC. We'll hopefully have another year of that and wrap that up. We're doing both phosphorus and potassium with that particular trial. My main focus has been on sulfur uh, with some of our, our larger trials. Um, hopefully be able to release a few things here over the winter on that where we're looking at some long-term comparisons of different sources. Um, some interesting things looking at um, Tiger 90 versus sulfate. Um, seeing uh, Tiger 90 performing a little bit better this spring. Um, this is the second year of application in the same plot. So that's one of the things that I really wanted to see was whether or not um, the oxidation would help. And over time, we'd see some nutrient release that would the crop would pick up from that. But still seeing that um, sulfate being a better option in many of those. So we'll be talking again about that, I think a little bit more this fall with that. Um, and other things, you know, growers always kind of interested in, we're doing some work again with uh, some of these biologicals. So I'll have another two sites out with this um, Pivot Bio product proven. Um, we had some out last year, um, showed some early growth differences early on in the growing season, but um, we didn't really see a whole lot translated to yield. So we'll kind of see again this year, um, we went with an irrigated site. I tried to find um, a site down by Waseca where we'd have really high response to N. And that's been the big thing that I've been seeing is, um, and I don't know, Fabian, if you've been down around the, um, the Waseca areas, I mean, some of our plots where we had over 200 pounds of N corn on corn, um, seeing those showing still some firing on the lower leaves. So, um, you know, while the, the rainfall hasn't been substantial, some of these soils I think are just so tight that um, we get a lot of denitrification still in some of these. So that's kind of the interesting thing I've been seeing is um, being drier, I would expect it to be a little bit less um, end response this year, but still seeing some, some impacts from, um, from 
from at least from some of these, the rain we had or what little we had early in the season, maybe seeing some end loss occurring at some of those sites. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's certainly one of the things that I keep noticing, especially in systems with a lot of uh, residue, continuous corn, those kinds of systems where um, they're just needing more nitrogen than, than one would expect. And so that is one actually one of the, the things that we are looking at. We have uh, through AFRIC funding, we have uh, a study going throughout the state from we have sites in Crookston, Morris, Becker, uh, Wasika, Lamberton, and Rochester, looking at continuous corn, corn soybean rotations, and uh, basically nitrogen rates. Uh, and the idea in that project is to look at the long-term effect of nitrogen rates on um, the ability of the soil to supply nitrogen and in the uh, productivity of the soils based on uh, a long-term application of nitrogen at different rates. And one of the things that we are doing with that is allowing us to use that information to put uh, response curves into the nitrogen rate calculator. And uh, that is one thing that this winter we'll be visiting as a group, as a nutrient management group, because uh, especially for the continuous corn, it seems that the, the rates that the rate scales that we had may be a little short and maybe we need to adjust those upward uh, simply because we are seeing that deficiency or you know needing more nitrogen than we would normally expect um, then other types of trials that uh, or uh, research trials that uh, i am conducting have to do with um, uh, nutrient loss nitrogen loss uh, specifically in, in terms of the water quality we have sites that are looking both at uh, nitrate leaching below the root zone in sandy soils irrigated sandy soils and um, tile drain uh, sites that have more clay in their soils, uh, but both kind of looking at um, nitrogen timing, uh, nitrogen sources. And uh, in one study in Lamberton, we are also not only looking at the um, drainage in, in tiles, but we are also looking at ammonia, volatilization and nitrous oxide emissions. And going back to some of the things that Dan was mentioning for the south central part of the state where denitrification seems to be uh, a problem. Uh, and so we are trying to capture those uh, losses to the, to the atmosphere and trying to get a better idea of a total budget of nitrogen. You know, how much of the nitrogen that we apply ends up in the plant versus uh, ending up uh, either in the tile drainage or volatilizing to the atmosphere. Um, then there are some other studies looking at uh, the effect of uh, soil drainage, whether we have drainage or no drainage and uh, uh, with different tillage systems and the different tillage systems, how that, that interaction uh, impacts nitrogen. And in that particular study, we also have some uh, treatments looking at split application. So we compare a pre-plant only application compared to a split application. Again, to see how um, the drainage and the tillage impact uh, what we do with nitrogen. So a number of different studies like that. We are also wrapping up uh, a study that probably many of you have heard of, uh, where we are comparing urea with fall versus spring application. Uh, that's a study that has been going on for about four years now and 
we are wrapping that up this year. So, uh, and then a new study that we started with uh, Vasu Sharma, looking at um, the interaction of irrigation and nitrogen rate in um, sandy soils. It's a fairly large study in two different locations in Becker and um, um, Pope County. And uh, we installed uh, instrumentation there so that we can measure uh, the, the drainage, the water that drains below the root zone to, to look at uh, nitrate leaching into groundwater and uh, also look at the effect of irrigation and nitrogen just to, to figure out what's that sweet spot on, in terms of uh, water management and nitrogen management. That's, I think, uh, in general, the, the projects that we are doing right now related to nitrogen. Yeah, and up at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center, as Fabian mentioned, we do have a trial of the, the long-term for the long-term nitrogen project. Um, so we've been looking at that and, um, you know, since that's corn, to be determined how that looks uh, yet this summer. Um, normally we say that, you know, water is our limiting nutrient up here for corn, but, uh, you know, not a nutrient, but, you know, kind of along that same line. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this summer with our too much water um, kind of, I think is, I think we may be in for some interesting study results, Fabian. So just <laughs> forewarning you on that. Um, but the other project we have, and if you've been following sort of me on social media, you probably know about it, is, the long, is um, our new drainage plots. Um, and these, these drainage plots are, you know, we just uh, drained about 60 acres and are looking at drained versus undrained and really looking at nutrient cycling both for nitrogen phosphorus and phosphorus, but then also looking at the carbon pools at the same time and seeing how those three um, interact with one another. So, so that should be a, you know, really interesting study. And we're in the process right now of trying to get all of those samples we've collected uh, throughout the summer analyzed. So, you know, hopefully by, you know, this winter or next spring, we'll actually, you know, be able to see a little bit where the nitrogen went, where the, if the carbon moved in the soil, you know, and, and how much phosphorus and nitrogen loss we got through the tile drainage system. Um, so kind of looking forward to some results from that. Um, and, and yeah, I think that kind of covers some of what, what I've been working on this summer. What should growers consider when making fall fertilizer decisions? Are there any new research findings that they should be aware of uh, that might impact their decisions this fall? Well, you know, um, I will, I guess, start off with uh, talking about nitrogen. The, um, the, ground, the groundwater protection rule is now in effect. Uh, so for some of the soils and regions of the state, that's uh, a really important consideration, something that uh, it's, is new this, this fall, starting this fall. And um, so basically the application of nitrogen is not allowed in areas where there's a lot of uh, potential for uh, nitrate leaching because of uh, the kinds of soils, sandy soils or karst topography, um, where the, the potential for leaching is too high. Uh, and along those lines, we are, as I mentioned earlier, one of the studies that we, we are doing is that comparison of fall versus spring uh, application of nitrogen 
focusing mostly on urea, but we have a number of different nitrogen sources that we apply both fall and spring and different placements, broadcast incorporated or uh, a subsurface band application. And um, what we've seen so far from that study, again, several years of data, multiple locations across the state, is that um, for um, the uh, south central part of the state, fall applications of urea are really uh, not a good idea. The potential is just too large for nitrogen loss with, with a fall application of urea. Uh, whether you apply urea or whether you use a nitrification inhibitor, it did not make any difference. Uh, you just end up losing too much of that nitrogen, um, reducing the yields. And so uh, if you are looking at fall applications of urea, I would say look to the spring, do the, the spring application instead. And then uh, for the southwest and west central part of the state, um, the results sometimes are not as uh, uniform as we saw in the, in the south central part of the state, but still, when you look at it globally, the, the fall application never really did better than, than a spring uh, pre-plant application. Some, some of the years, because of conditions, they were okay with the fall application, but there is definitely a substantial risk of um, losing some of the nitrogen, needing additional nitrogen to basically reach the uh, the yield potential of the crop. And then as we move to the Northwest, uh, that has been a challenging uh, site, uh, Lindsay, because uh, for, for some of the years we see no response to nitrogen. <laughs> so the, the check plot that had no nitrogen yielded as much as any of the other nitrogen rates that we applied. And, um, but uh, again, globally, if we look at across all the years uh, of that study, we see that the spring application tends to, again, be more favorable. Uh, at least uh, the, the yields uh, sometimes in the fall were reduced with, with that application in the fall compared to spring. But again, kind of a, a little bit, uh, not, not as consistent there, just simply because we had so many sites where we just simply had no response to nitrogen. And then as far as the, uh, as I mentioned, the inhibitors, you know, some people think that, okay, well, if I use an inhibitor, I can apply nitrogen in the fall and be fine. And, and we find that that's not necessarily the case. The inhibitors, especially for anhydrous ammonia like NSERV, it does basically it definitely help, but it's not a bulletproof kinds of kind of thing. So, you need to really look at the soil temperatures before you apply, waiting until soil temperatures are cool. We, we talk about 50 degrees and going down. And we know that the nitrification actually continues until the soils freeze. But of course, uh, we have to find kind of a, a time frame there where we can still apply nitrogen. And so that's where we say 50 degrees, but uh, the cooler the temperature, the better it is. Not only in terms of minimizing nitrification, but also improving the, uh, the, the, the life of the inhibitor. So the efficiency of the inhibitor is increased when you apply it in cooler temperatures because it, is, uh, it takes longer to degrade. So that's, that's what I, uh, I would uh, suggest in terms of looking at the fall um, uh, applications. 
And that was a pretty thorough uh, run through of nitrogen issues. I guess I just uh, add just a tiny bit more and that's just relative to, uh, we've been running around now the last several years with our nitrogen smart program and discussing the fact that there's not a one size fits all uh, nitrogen management scheme. But that being said, when you make modifications to your nitrogen management, we are very capable of understanding what the circumstances are, the soil and climatic conditions, as well as the implications of management practices uh, on adjusting uh, nitrogen management. And so given what we talked about earlier, the fact that the a large percentage of the state is relatively normal, there's really no indications right now that you need to be deviating significantly from what we would kind of consider standard nitrogen management. Uh, you know, and one of the other things we've been talking about is, you know, if you're risk averse and you tend to want to go to the higher side of, uh, of nitrogen rates, uh, be thinking about the fact that uh, we have a lot of infrastructure in place that's able to apply in season and maybe just keep that on the back burner and wait and see how uh, next spring progresses and just apply kind of your base rate uh, uh, right now and then reevaluate things as, as the, uh, we see how things go during planting season next year and the early part of the growing season. And Brad, you mentioned something that re reminded me of uh, this study where we are looking at different sources. Uh, I forgot to mention that uh, we have also looked at ESN, which is a polymer coated urea as a fall versus spring application. Again, the thought there was, well, if you apply urea, but with a coating that protects it from uh, being nitrified, would that improve uh, nitrogen? And in general, basically, we see that it is better than just urea but it's never better than uh, waiting until the spring. So again, um, if you are considering applications in the fall, be really careful with that because uh, there's just simply too much potential for, for nitrogen loss, for things to go wrong. And it's better to, um, to, to wait until the spring. And as Brad mentioned, there are uh, increasing number of opportunities to do even in-season applications. And that's one of the things we'll be looking at here um, in terms of some of the NAN rate response trials. I did go through and look at the 2019 trials to look at whether or not we're going to be updating the database. Uh, the numbers that we have coming in when we added the 2019 data were within about five pounds of what the recommendation was following the 2018. So I'm not expecting that anybody is going to be looking at any major adjustments right now because that you know, within five pounds is still within the profitable range of where we're at. And so you're probably not going to see any big changes for fall for the nitrogen guidelines. Um, because again, I mean, if you looked at it with wet conditions, 2019, everything went up within about five pounds. So it isn't, it isn't all that much in the end um, to be making any major changes to the guidelines. The main thing I'm looking at right now, um, one of our projects funded by AFRIC is a timing study where we're looking at fall and spring application of phosphorus ahead of corn and soybeans. Um, one of the main things I saw last year, uh, particularly with corn, is two of the sites we saw a definite uh, advantage um, where it took um, roughly 30 pounds or more less phosphate for a spring application versus a fall. Uh, one of the things I think kind of questions I have coming out of that is whether or not um, 
you know, a fall application of broadcast followed by a spring starter, which I think is pretty common in areas where we're testing in Western Minnesota, you know, where that might be an option um, for those, because I know fall application is pretty common, but that's one of the things that um, we're in year two, I'll have another year of data. This year, looking at my numbers, seeing some of the same things, particularly with June soil tests, where um, when I went and took samples um, after applying late fall with the phosphorus, it's amazing in June, you compare spring versus fall, the, there's a large difference in terms of the soil test where if you see there's a lot of reaction and looks like a lot of fixation of that phosphorus, but yet it's still there and the yield is still there in some circumstances, albeit may take maybe taking slightly higher rates for fall application. So that's one of the things I think to be watch out for. And as I get more data in, we'll summarize that. Uh, with beans, it didn't matter. Fall, spring, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, the main thing, I did update the soybean guidelines. Um, one of the things that I do talk about a little bit more after some comments over the winter. Um, last winter, we're looking at um, application every year ahead of every crop, particularly in a corn-soybean rotation. Some growers pointing out that they're having better luck, particularly with pHs of eight or above with an application ahead of the beans. So that's one of the things I did put into the guidelines there. Um, the only other thing that's new in the soybean guidelines, um, I do um, did put some um, recommendations in suggesting no more than 100 pounds of actual potash ahead of the beans in Western Minnesota if you're putting them on the year ahead of the beans. Um, we have some research uh, funded by the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council looking at chloride. And I've been trying to track areas where we have salt buildup in the soil. I'm seeing some, some yields decrease, although we see it in a number of other locations with extremely high rates of potash ahead, ahead of the beans. So it's one of the things, again, we're looking at, um, I think it's kind of one of the things that would just, if you're not on and in following Minnesota crop news, that's um, kind of a good time to do it because we'll have some newer research right now that um, this has kind of been the primary way we've been releasing a lot of things with a limited number of in-person events here this winter. So those are the main things I would watch out for. Right now, certainly we're looking at a few other things with nitrogen. I'll have a few things being released, uh, particularly um, urea, sugar beet stands. I've got a news release I'm working on right now, kind of talking about some of the things that we saw this spring with high rates of N actually seeing lower stands in sugar beet. So there's a, just a few things that you'll see, I think, coming out here this fall that uh, just to keep an eye out for, and it's a, a good time again to be um, watching Minnesota crop news. Yeah, and I guess, you know, and I think pretty much everything that you guys need to keep in mind has been covered by by the others, but I'll just kind of echo some of what Fabian said, especially in the Northwest. It's going to be really tempting for you spring wheat growers to get out there and put your nitrogen on, but but wait, wait until those soil temperatures drop. It They'll drop quickly, I'm sure, uh, but but just check the soil temperature before you get that nitrogen on so that it's still there. Um, for the next for the next crop so uh that's that's all i'll add um but yeah it's great advice from the others today and i can echo a little bit more with that too with corn it'll be interesting to see some of those areas um you know we had a lot of nitrogen loss and not very low residual and nitrate levels in the soil the last few years we get areas particularly the southwest where it's been drier I mean, it might be a good idea in some of those areas um, if you feel like you didn't use all the end to maybe take a two foot soil test. Um, you know, Brad and I are working on a trial right now. We'll hopefully get a few new um, locations in, but that's geared towards South Central and Southeastern Minnesota looking uh, more at that two foot end test for looking at um, identifying optimal end rates. But um, it might be something to think about, I think going into um, 
this next year, if you think you've been dry, you think you have any carryover in, it might be a good idea maybe to check a few areas of the field to see what's effectively there because we've seen the rates increase for what we've been recommending, but we may see some higher residuals um, this fall than we'd have the last few falls. And just to add a little bit more to what Dan mentioned is that um, the availability of that nitrogen, that residual nitrogen, obviously depends largely on what happens this fall and into the spring. And so uh, while you can take soil samples this fall, just to kind of have a general idea, the, the best thing to do really is um, to take those samples in the spring ahead of uh, nitrogen applications, just to see what is currently at that point before the, the crop will need it, uh, rather than basing it off of uh, what you may have this fall. All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.